Good morning, church. <clears throat> I, uh, I need you to pray for me. <clears throat> I was just, I almost fell into sin right there. Just confessing, is that okay? Every single Lopez that gets up here to sing, sings with such amazing voices. And not one Manente can really sing. I mean, what is going on here? You know what I mean? But, you know, it's like, you pray for me, I'll be fine. I, uh, man, it's just beautiful voices, you know? It's, it's just unbelievable. How are we doing this morning? It's good to see you guys. I haven't seen you since last year. You knew that was coming, right? I mean, come on. So uh, you heard me talk a lot about different mission trips. In fact, you also heard me talk about uh, going to India and almost missing the train and, and all that. And, uh, uh, but uh, we, we took that train to New Delhi on that mission trip. And I remember one of the things that I really looked forward to in New Delhi was to get to a phone so I can call Nancy and Brianna. At that time, Brianna was probably about 10 or 11. I can't remember exactly. And I remember, uh, I remember calling them, and it was just so nice to hear their voice. And uh, I remember uh, uh, talking to Brianna on the phone, and, 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 and I think it was about 7.30 in the morning in India, which uh, was about uh, 9 o'clock in the evening in Pennsylvania. And, and so she was about ready to go to bed, and I said, you know, good night. She goes, are you going to bed? And I said, no, honey, it's 7.30 in the morning here. She goes, how is that possible? <laughs> I said, it's, and I don't remember which days, were, but let's suppose it was Tuesday. She was Tuesday night, and I, I said, it's Wednesday for me. She goes, get out of here. She said, that's not possible. How is that possible? I said, yeah. And she said, so you're like, it's like, this is so cool. She said, Dad, it's like you're like living in the future. She goes, can you tell me what tomorrow is going to be like? Well, I said, it doesn't really work that way. But isn't it true that we all want to know what tomorrow is going to be like, right? Wouldn't it be nice if it really worked that way? You know, hey, listen, just let me know what's happening tomorrow because, you know, you're over there. There's a time difference, you know. So, but it doesn't work that way, does it? We are finishing this morning the series entitled Through the Eyes of God. We've talked about a lot of different topics and a lot of different things. Last week, we talked about yesterday, how we view yesterday through the eyes of God. And this week, we're saying how we view, how God views tomorrow. How do we see tomorrow through God's eyes? So, sermon today is called Tomorrow Through the Eyes of God. So, um, are you ready? We're going to go into a story right away. It's a story in the book of Judges, and it's going to be up there for those of you that are, that are lazy. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, that didn't bring your Bible. Uh, but uh, we're, going to, we're going to try. I, I asked, uh, I asked uh, Brandon to follow me as much as possible. I said, look, we're going to be in Judges. Just, I'm going to be all over the place, though. Just follow me. He said, I'm on it. So. How cool is that, right? Behind the scenes all the time. 
So we'll start with verse 1, though, and I want to read you this, this story here. It says, uh, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Did you notice the first word? Again. <laughs> I, I don't know what's up with these guys. You ever, like, you ever find yourself reading in the Old Testament and saying, what is wrong with these guys? They're always messing up. Not us, of course, you know. Again, the Israelites did evil. God's church did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of the Midian were so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle, not even donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. I call this the setup. I love it when the Bible starts off with this kind of a setup. This is a trial. I want to put a thought in your mind for 2019. Can I do that for you? How many of you think you will have trials this year? Okay, most of you are pretty realistic. Very good. I know I will. Why don't we do this? And hopefully this story today will help you, will help us to be able to do this. Why don't we look at trials as God's opportunity to do something great in our lives? It's a setup. Whenever a trial comes, you go, don't, instead of saying, oh, God, why me? Why? Is no, say, I see where you're going, God. Okay, I got this. Wouldn't that be cool to see something? It's as if, you know, if we were going to see these, this moment through the eyes of God, it's as if God is saying something good is about to happen. Well, I just read something really bad. Yeah, I, that's exactly the point. Something good is about to happen. Say it with me. Something good is about to happen. Okay, now everybody. Something good is about to happen. So let's look at this. Now, many of you have heard this story before. God always has a way to, to deal with these things. I love the way God works in these situations. Uh, in verse 11, Brandon will take us there. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Are you following? So he's actually like doing this incognito, hiding. I'm going to have to do this quietly. He's actually hiding. This is, this is Gideon. This is the situation. This is what tells me something good's about to happen. All right? So there he is. And it says here that, that the angel of the Lord 
came and sat down. Can you imagine being there, doing the work, and all of a sudden you recognize that there is a holy being right there? And I have a pretty good suspicion that that angel of the Lord is just another word for Jesus. Jesus had a way of showing up in the Old Testament. Did you know that? And sometimes when he showed up, they would call him the angel of the Lord. We would meet him on the way when Joshua was about to uh, go uh, against Jericho. Remember that? And there was this angel. And Joshua is like, oh, whose side are you on? <laughs> right? I hope you're on my side is basically what he's saying, right? And this angel of the Lord, we find out later, this is Jesus. This is Jesus, but before he becomes baby Jesus, before he becomes a baby Jesus and grows up as a man. This is the way he came in the Old Testament times. And so there he is sitting there with Gideon. And he says these words. I love this. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I got this feeling that Gideon was going like this. I mean, like you said, is there somebody else here hiding with us? In fact, a little later, he says, that this is impossible. I come from the weakest clan, and I'm the least in my family. I know you're not talking to me. I don't know about you, but God has a way of contradicting the way we see ourselves. Isn't that true? See, if we want to talk about seeing ourselves through the eyes of God, listen, God sees Gideon as a mighty warrior. Gideon sees himself as the least of his family, which is the weakest clan. But God says, no, 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 you're a mighty warrior. God does not call the empowered. He empowers the called. Are you following what I'm saying? This is what Hebrews says, you know, those of us who are weak, those, those who, are, who, who are fools, we are the ones that God chooses to confound the wise, right? What is he saying here? He's saying, look, I, didn't, I don't call those who are empowered, those who are qualified. I qualify the called. God does not see you for who you are today. And I don't know what you're going through, but here's the message for today. God sees you for who you can be tomorrow. God doesn't see you. You know, he did this with David, who was just a shepherd boy. That's everybody, the way everybody else saw him. But he saw him as a what? As a king. People saw the disciples as fishermen, but God saw them as what? Great evangelists. Paul was named Saul, and he, he was seen by everybody as a terrorist, but God makes him one of the greatest evangelists to the Gentiles. So, would you be surprised if I called you mighty warrior today? You are a mighty warrior. This wasn't just for Gideon. It was actually for Gideon so that all of us could say, hey, wait a minute. Is, is, is that, can, can I relate to this? Could I really be a mighty warrior? Today, today I'm a farmer. Tomorrow, I'm a mighty warrior. Today, I'm a carpenter. Tomorrow, I'm not just a carpenter. I'm also what? A mighty warrior. Today, I'm a mom. 
Tomorrow, I'm not just a mom. I'm also what? A mighty warrior. Today, I'm an engineer. Tomorrow, you're not just an engineer. You're a mighty warrior. Today, you're an educator. Tomorrow, you're not just an educator. You're a mighty warrior. Today, you might be a student. But tomorrow, you're not just going to be a student. You're going to be what? A mighty warrior. Why am I saying tomorrow? Because even though God is saying to Gideon right then and there, you're a mighty warrior. Gideon doesn't know this, but he's going to be a mighty warrior tomorrow. That's what's going to happen. Today, maybe you feel like your life is purposeless, but tomorrow, tomorrow you're going to be a mighty, mighty warrior for God. I love that about God. In verse 13 it says, But sir, Gideon replied, He's talking to the angel of the Lord. He calls him, sir. Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Can anybody relate? If the Lord is with us, why has this all happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? I know, come on, I know there are people in this church right now that know exactly what Gideon is saying. I know there are people in this church right now that you have been waiting patiently and you have been listening to the stories forever. You've been singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, ever since you were a little kid and you're sitting there going, but where is this God? I mean, I, I'm going to sing about him, and I'm going to hope in him, but I wonder sometimes, where is all the miracles that God... I had somebody ask me the other day, do you believe in miracles? I said, I believe in miracles, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But here's what I believe. I believe that our lives sometimes are so small that there is no room for God to do a miracle. See, for God to do a miracle, we must ask ourselves to step out of our comfort zones and do life big. To do life, you've heard me say this before, so big that if God was not in it, I would fail. It has to be a miracle. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? This is what God is asking us to do. He's saying, look, look, please, I know you think you're just, just this or just that. You're just a, no, you're not just a pastor. You are a mighty warrior. Not just a warrior. You are a what? mighty warrior. Most of us don't have enough room in our lives for miracles. And if your life is so small that you don't need God, how can God fit in there? I remember reading this, uh, this quote from Henry David Thoreau. He says, if, in, if one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he imagined, he will meet with success unexpected in common hours. See, the problem with this quote is it really depends how big your dream is. Well, this is so easy to live if your dream is small. But if God is challenging us to dream big, tomorrow, then he better make us into mighty warriors, wouldn't you say? 
He's going to have to empower us. He's going to have to qualify us. He's going to have to be able to, to give us a way to be able to enable us to be able to do what he's asking us to do. But we cannot ever expect God to do a miracle in our lives if we're not willing to live out of our comfort zone. And one of the things that our leaders here at this church have done is, and we have said, and we're going to be doing some pretty interesting things this year here, uh, and we're, we're stepping out of our comfort zone. Stepping up, in fact, put this date down in your calendar. Unashamed advertisement right here. The weekend of March 9th, we're going to have a very special leadership weekend here. And you're going to sit there and say, well, wait a minute, I'm not a leader. Listen, trust me on this, okay? Not only are you a leader, but you are a mighty warrior. Are you following what I'm saying to you? So put, put, put something in your, put it in there. Cancel whatever you got in there. Erase it. Put, come here. There's going to be, uh, some of you may remember Dave Ferguson. He's the uh, senior pastor of the uh, Southern Adventist uh, Collegedale Church in, uh, in, in Tennessee. Amazing speaker. We're going to have, uh, uh, I'll be speaking too, so sorry about that. So there'll be a couple of us speaking on the topic of leadership. We're going to have some prayer tents set up. We're going to have great music uh, from our worship team. We're going to have Saturday night, once we've done with everything, we're going to have a, a Christian comedian by the name of Bob Stromberg. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He is hysterical. If you haven't looked him up on YouTube, I don't care. Man, it's amazing. We're going to have an amazing, powerful weekend. But I got to tell you something. It's scary because we have never done that before here. We wanna, we're hoping that, and not only is it a success, but we're hoping that it kind of launches us to be known as the church in the Tri-Cities that teaches and enables and empowers leaders, not just for us, but for others. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, it's a little scary, isn't it? Well, it has to be. I heard a story about two native Alaskans that were fishing. One had a, made a big hole in the ice like the size of a manhole cover. And the other one made a big hole in the ice like the size of a whale in the shape of a whale. If you were going ice fishing in Alaska, which hole would you be doing? Right? I mean, it's like what, we're going to catch what we the hole that we're making. Does that make sense to you? But Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders? Why are the bills piled up? Why is my marriage unfulfilling? Why is my job dissatisfying? Why does she break up with me? Why do I have no direction in my life? Why am I suffering so much in pain and sorrow? Why is the world in such disarray? I mean, Lord, if you are really here, why is this happening? And I love God. He, he doesn't answer the why. Did you, did you notice this in the story? He says, no, I want you to go and do something and, and know this. He says in verse 12, he says, the Lord answered, I will be with you 
and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Okay, that's, that, don't need, you don't need to know why. You just need to know what's going to happen tomorrow. Because tomorrow, you're going to be a mighty warrior. Now, uh, let's continue here a little bit because it's kind of interesting. I love what happens here. Uh, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. We are people that want a sign all the time, don't we? Give me a sign. Let me get behind somebody with just the right uh, license tag, you know? Like, marry him. You know what I mean? Okay, okay, now I know, right? You know, or, you know, California. Okay, good, that's where I got to go, you know? So just something, right? We want signs. Not, now, let's be honest. Sometimes we get signs and we don't listen to them. Isn't that true? And we practice this, right? Uh, for example... Have you ever not fully stopped at a stop sign? You know what I'm talking about, right? There's a sign that says stop. You're like, all right, I got this sign. Now, when we get signs, we actually practice not obeying them sometimes. How many of you that drive always go the speed limit? There's a couple of you. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Most of you did not raise your hand. But that's a sign, right? But I know what you're saying. You're like, you're like my friend Spencer. Speed limit? No. I believe in God. God is limitless. We can go more than that, right? Why, why, why limit? Why limit God, right? Let's just speed more. I mean, that's the way we think. That's the way we are. But here's, here's Gideon. He's saying, look, I, I, if it's really you, show me a sign. As if a sign is really going to make a difference. And so God, I love God in this story because he is so amazingly patient. He doesn't recognize that it's God. In fact, it's probably been so long that he's actually had a conversation with God that he's not really sure that this is God. And so he says, please, in verse 18, do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Now, I, I don't know. <laughs> and by the way, did you see what it said? And the, who? The Lord. How do you feel about making God wait? Now, I'm, I'm just being honest, right? I mean, isn't that what Gideon is doing here? It's like, okay, you wait right here. I'll be right back. This is God you're talking to, right? But if it's really you, I, I'm going to get an offering. You're going to do this the right thing, right? So, so Gideon went and prepared a young goat and, uh, from an ephah. Uh, I don't even know how to say that word. Of flour. He made bread without yeast putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. Okay. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat, and the unleavened bread, fire flared from the rock, and consuming the meat and the bread, 
and the angel of the Lord disappeared. I, I got I to believe that out of Gideon's mouth came, okay. Okay, I see how it is. I mean, would you not be convinced then? And so what, what we learn is that he is convinced, but, but now he's like, okay, I know you're God, but I'm, not, I, I'm convinced about you. I'm not convinced about me being a what? A mighty warrior. I'm convinced about you, God, but I'm not convinced about me being a mighty warrior. There's, there's no way. I, that, I, I get you. I can't do what you just did. Like, that's amazing. I can't do that. But me being a mighty warrior, I don't think you know who you're talking to, God. Creator. Who made me. And so most of you know this part of the story more than anything else. He says, you know, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a fleece. And I bring the fleece. And, and let's do this, God. Uh, tomorrow morning... If the ground is uh, uh, dry and there is dew on the fleece, then I know that it's you. And God says, you're testing my patience. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? All right. So, he, you know, next morning, guess what? The ground is dry and there's dew on the fleece. Now you would say, okay, God, I got it. You're God, and you're going to do exactly what you say. No, that's not what Gideon says. He wasn't kidding when he was saying he was the least in his family. <laughs> and guy, this guy is thick, you know. He's like, okay, okay, please don't be mad at me, God. That's what he says. Please don't, don't get angry. I'm just, I'm just saying, look, I just want to be really sure. Anybody here has this, this disease? Where you want to, you won't do anything until you're really, see, let me just tell you something. If you're doing something or you're not doing something until you're really sure, that's not faith. Faith is not only believing in the absence of evidence, faith is believing in the presence of contrary evidence. Faith is way more than just saying, wait till I'm sure. I'm not always sure. I got to tell you something. I have no clue about so many things. I know this is going to scare some of you guys, but I, I sometimes am just going saying, okay, God, we're going. Let's do it. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I trust you, God. Sometimes we have to embrace uncertainty. I mean, that's what faith really is, isn't it? We got to get to the point where we stop this thing about being sure. But I love God because he is so patient with us. And he says, okay, what? He says, all right, let's do it again. He says, this time, if there's dew on the ground, if, there is, uh, if, the ground is, uh, if there's dew on the ground and the fleece is dry, then I know for sure. He says, all right, guess what? You can't trick God. <laughs> Dew on the ground, the fleece is dry, and Gideon is convinced. And I think God did this for one reason, because I don't think Gideon knows what he's in for tomorrow. In chapter 7, it says, Early in the morning, Jerub Baal, which is Gideon, they call him that because he got rid of one of the altars, that shouldn't have been there. 
Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the, the hill of Marheh. The Lord said to Gideon, okay, now you believe me, right? Yes. Now you know it's me, right? Yes. You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into, your, into their hands. Let me give you the numbers on this. Gideon, at this moment, has 32,000 soldiers. The Midianites have 135,000 soldiers. And so Gideon is like, wait, let me do the math here. Hold on. They got way more people than we do. <coughs> and you're saying we have too many? Yes. Okay. You're the fleece guy. <laughs> I, I, know, I know what you're doing. And so it says, in order that Israel may not boast, catch the reason, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Did you catch that? Don't you ever think that anything you do is because of your own strength. I mean, some of us are very gifted and talented. I thank God for that. But I really believe that you're gifted and talented because God made you gifted and talented. And unless you recognize that, you're going to be frustrated for a long time. God has gifted you. God is talented. God, God has qualified you. You are a mighty warrior. I want to tell you that there's some, some amazing mighty warriors in this church. But I got to tell you right now, it isn't because of your own strength. Don't ever boast about it from that perspective. You can boast about it from the perspective that God has gifted you. That's awesome. But please know that it is God. And he says, look, here's the reason. I don't want that to happen. So, and he says, I love this. He says, so here's what you're going to announce to the people. Anyone who trembles with fear can turn back and leave. Can you imagine that moment when Gideon is like, uh, okay, so here's the situation. We're going to go up against the Midianites. Yeah. Okay, good, 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 good. And uh, they, I know we all know that they have 135,000 and there's only 32,000 of us. Uh, but we're going to go up against them, right? And, and, and I'll tell you what, if anybody is too scared, you can go home. Uh, we won't judge you. We're not going to shame you, you know. You can go home. That's like me saying to you, okay, listen, look, I know you came to church and it's Sabbath, and it's, but if, you're, if there's anybody here whose stomach is growling right now because it's lunch, you can go. Don't worry about it. Nobody's going to judge you. Go ahead. See, because, because you've been raised in the United States, it's just uncourteous to do that, I know. But not these guys. They're like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Listen to what happens. I love this. <laughs> this is so good. So 22,000 men left. Can you imagine Gideon as he sees 22,000 of them just going by? Wow. I didn't realize I had that kind of influence. <laughs> uh, are you sure? Yeah. No, no, it's, no, no shame. Really? Go ahead. <laughs> say, say hello to Sarah for me. <laughs> yes, good. I mean, what would happen here? And Gideon's got, okay, I got 10,000 men now against 135,000. Brave men. They're staying. That's how you, by the way, that's how you know if somebody's brave or not, if somebody's a coward or not, right? You make an announcement like that, everything changes, doesn't it? 
So they're all just sitting there going, now I know some of you guys, your stomach is starting to growl. This is good. I'm like it. This is exactly what I wanted. All right. So, so 10,000 remains. But the Lord said to Gideon, verse 4, Brandon, you're doing amazing back there, by the way. I don't know how you're keeping up with me. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Wait, God, hold on, time out, God, listen. I don't know if you've counted the Midianites, like the locusts, remember? I think in about 135,000 of them, we only have 10,000, God. Do you have any of this dialogue in the Bible? No. Gideon is so convinced that not only this is God, but that God can do anything, that God is bigger than the obvious, more powerful than the predictable, and he loves to give impossibility and inferiority complex, and he believes that he's a mighty warrior, and he's like, okay, okay, too many. What do we do now, God? Okay, we're going to go to the river, and those who kind of drink water like a dog would drink water, I don't want them. Those who are willing to kind of kneel by the water and, and, and do this, while they're still looking, those are the ones I want. All right. I won't say a word, but just take them to the river. Yes. Okay. Got it. So they go to the river, and he's like, okay, guys, water break. And he sees 9,700 men drink like dogs. And now he's thinking, wait a minute, maybe this is like the fleece thing. Maybe he meant the other way around. You know, maybe he's just messing with me. Verse 5, it says, So the Gideon took the men down to the water there. The Lord told them, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents. Can you imagine being one of the ones that kind of did, didn't drink it right? But, you know, you, you were like one of the 10,000, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're like, why am I going home? You drank the water wrong. <laughs> I mean, like, really, doesn't that? I mean, I don't know about you, but I think God has got some humor here. I mean, I think this is pretty amazing. You, you just didn't drink. What do you mean I didn't drink? I, you told me to drink. You, you didn't tell me any other way. No, I know, but it just wasn't good. You're going to go up against 135,000 with 300 men. Yeah. Verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents. but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpet. Now, check this out. Because if by now you're not convinced that God is really, really patient, 
and is really, really willing to, to work with us, no matter who we are. Catch this moment right here. Now it says, Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. Catch this. Don't miss this. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Now, Gideon, just listen to me. Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If, however, you are afraid to attack, I mean, I don't know why you would be at this point, but okay. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. And Gideon says, no need. Really, God, I'm fully convinced now. Is that what he says? Oh, no. Gideon's like, all right, cool. Thank you, God. Appreciate that. I'm in. All right. So he and Pur, uh, the, his servant went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as the locust. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. And then Gideon arrived just as the man was telling a friend his dream. So they're just kind of listening in now, right? I had a dream. Don't know where that came from. A round loaf of barley bread. Have you ever had dreams like this? Came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force, this piece of bread struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this could be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelites. <laughs> now they're worried that this guy is a mighty warrior. This is pretty amazing, right? God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon heard the dream, and the interpretation, he worshiped God right then and there. How cool is that? It took him this long. This whole story, it took him this long to finally worship God. This mighty warrior. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. And then he divides the 300 men into three companies. Because there's too many of them. He placed, I was, I was going to bring a kazoo here and a big jar and a flashlight, but didn't get a chance to do that. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. There's nothing about swords here, not even pitchforks. You just got a jar, a flashlight, and a kazoo. That's what you got. And they're all listening. These 300 men are actually paying attention to Gideon. Apparently, he's got some persuasive way of speaking. They're like, oh, okay, genius, genius, I love this. What a military plan. I love this. Okay, jars, flashlight, kazoo. I got it. Okay. Watch me, he said. Don't get this wrong. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. And when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. 
Okay, got it. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Nice and loud, because that's what the dream was all about. All right, do we need the practice? No, I got it. Okay, good. Gideon and the hundred men went uh, under men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard they blew their trumpets like mighty warriors and broke the jars like mighty warriors they were in their hands the three companies all like mighty warriors blew their trumpets and smashed their jars grasping the torches in their left hand and holding it in their right hand, the trumpet, they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, while each man held his position around the camp. All of the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. (coughs) How cool is that? 135,000 of them. Can you imagine the mayhem here? 300 men breaking jars, holding torches, blowing the trumpets, and shouting for the Lord and for Gideon, the mighty warrior. When the 300 trumpets sounded, verse 22, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord caused who? The Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their sword. The army fled to Beth, that place, towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel, that other place, near that other place. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all of Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. I'm doing that, by the way, because I know some of you guys read your Bible that way, and I'm going to give you permission to do so. It's okay. It's all good. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them, as far as Beth Barah. So all the men, now catch this. Now it's not just the 300 men. Now suddenly all these that were cowards and all these men that went home and all these that were kind of like hiding in caves and other places, all of them suddenly get courageous. It is amazing how you can pull somebody into action by your obedience, by your faith. And he says, so all the men were called out and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb and on the, at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon who was by the Jordan. They were pretty serious at this point. They're pretty, they're pretty courageous at this point. And Gideon wakes up the next morning as the worship team comes up, prepares for the next song. Gideon gets up the next morning and you know what he says? Thank you, Lord, for making me a mighty warrior. He no longer thought of himself as the least of his family and his family the least clan No, he knew that with God, there were mighty warriors. I don't know what you're going through today. But I believe that God is daring us to sit with him and dream. And not just dream, but dream big. God is challenging us. 
to persevere, to, to move forward in the passionate pursuit of possibilities. I had a friend growing up. His name was Ricky. He had this disease, some of you who are doctors would know. The disease was called retina pigmentosa, which basically meant tunnel vision. You would go to shake his hand, and unless you put it right in front of him, he wouldn't see it. So if I was on the side, he'd just be sitting there. He could see, but he would only see this. He couldn't see anything. I used to work with uh, special ed autistic children. They had this thing called stimulus overselectivity. And, and, and stimulus overselectivity is a term used to describe a phenomenon whereby a person focuses on only one aspect of an object or environment while ignoring all other aspects. It's almost the same thing. Here's what I believe. I believe if we're not careful, we as God's people can fall into the trap of tunnel vision where we only see one thing one way. And we cannot see that God has for us the empowerment of becoming mighty warriors. Do you believe that? And so we finish through the eyes of God this afternoon. And I hope by now you've realized that, that what we've been saying all along is that, that God doesn't see us with disapproval or disappointment. God doesn't see us as coward Gideons. He sees us as mighty warriors. His presence is not a sign of condemnation. I believe his presence is an invitation, don't you? God intends to uproot us from the tyranny of the familiar. God intends to uproot us from the tyranny of the comfortable. I don't know if you've noticed this, but things are happening in this world. And if there was ever a time for us to believe God when he says that we are mighty warriors, this is the time. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Let him shatter our monotonous lives. Let him take us on an adventure, an adventure that we would never, ever, could ever imagine. We started this whole talk this morning with, where, with, with, with uh, Gideon saying, where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about? What he was saying that he didn't say is, you know, I hope that it's true, right? Isn't that what he was saying? I hope that it's true. He was saying, like, do it again, God. Like, if it's really you and you can really do this, do it again. And God did. Isn't that cool? We're going to sing one of my favorite songs here right now. I want to read you some of the words of the song. And when you sing it, I dare you. I dare you to sing it like a mighty warrior. And these are the words. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me yet. Waiting to change to come, for change to come, knowing that the battle is won, for you have never failed me yet. 
your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I am still in your hands. This is my confidence. You have never failed me yet. I know the nights, the night won't last and your words will come to pass. My heart will sing your praise again, Jesus. You're still enough. Do you believe that today? He is, still, is he still enough? See, I believe he's more than enough. Keep me within your love, my heart will sing your praise again. And I believe, he says. I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. I've seen you move, come move this mountain. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. How many of you believe that you can see God do this again in our lives?